Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. I'm not the kind of guy that uh, likes to just serve up a joke in a sermon to make it funny. I, there's some guys that do that amazing. I'm, I'm not one of them. Um, but, you know, it is, it is Father's Day, and I kind of feel like it's a s- slow-pitch softball coming across the plate for a dad joke. So I solicited some of the men of the church and asked for some of their favorite dad jokes. So I'm going to share just a couple. Just don't throw any tomatoes, okay? I'm just the messenger today. Uh, but uh, dad jokes, the first dad joke that I got was, do you know what 3.14% of all sailors are called? All sailors. Pirates. You got it. <laughs> Do you know where pirates buy their hooks? The secondhand store. <laughs> okay, that's a little, okay, last one. This is the last one, and then we'll move into the message. I know you did not come to hear my jokes today. Uh, how, how does a buffalo say goodbye to his son? Bye, son. <laughs> that's it. All, all jokes become dad jokes once they are apparent, you know. That was it. That was it. That's it. That's it. That's, that's, that's all I got. If you came here for the jokes, you're sorely disappointed. <laughs> if you came here for the Word of God, hopefully you'll be thoroughly encouraged today. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. You know, when you take a look at father and the role of a father, uh, it is the only title that God allows us to share with him. Father. And as a dad, there's no greater honor than when your first child is born. Like, your life changes. Like, you could be the strongest man, but when that baby comes in, you turn into, like, a puddle of tears, right? There's nothing that grips your heart and moves you like the birth of your child. Being away from your, your children sometimes is harder than being away from your wife. You have such just a, a, a heart for them. And, and the term father, if you look in the Bible, the term father in the New Testament in the Synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus references the Father over 65 times. In the book of John, the Gospel of John, over 100 times. Uh, in fact, if you go back through the Old Testament, there's chapters that all they do is list out the fathers of the community. So you see that, you read that, you hear that. What does that tell you? It tells you that God puts a premium, that there's a high level of importance in the role of fatherhood. And so today, I have a special message, not just for the dads, but it's been custom tailored for the men of the house. Uh, But hopefully the women, we're all gonna get something out of the word of God today because the word of God speaks to all of us, amen? So let's pray and then we're just gonna dive into the word and and then afterwards we'll have some amazing, delicious tacos. (laughs) It'll be a great day. God, we thank you for your word. It is life to us. And God, I pray for every single man under the sound of my voice in this house, God. I pray, Father, that you would challenge us, convict us, convict us. God, I pray, Father, that we would be encouraged, strengthened, and be built up in our holy faith today. We pray that you would give us eyes to see something we never saw before, ears to hear something we never heard before. I thank you that your word is a light to our path. It's the compass for our life. It tells us where to go, what to do, and what not to do. And so God, I pray that today you would speak through your word. Your servants are listening. Your sons and your daughters have gathered today around your throne to worship and to hear from you. So I I pray, God, I pray that every word coming out of my 
mouth, God, would be infused with the Holy Spirit and that you would say what you want to say and that we'd be able to hear everything you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me uh, to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to speak to you from the topic today to live a legacy. Live a legacy. A, a lot of people uh, think that legacy is just something you leave behind. Legacy is what they say about you when you're gone. Uh, I want to challenge that thought. I believe a legacy isn't what you just leave behind, but I think it's what you live today. If what you leave behind is going to affect the generation tomorrow, then what you're doing today bears great importance. And I want to encourage us to look look through this passage of Scripture and ask the Holy Spirit, show me what areas that I could step into in living a legacy now that will impact generations around me. So 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, if you're there, say amen. And if you're not there, that's okay. You can keep turning in your Bibles or look at the one on the screen. We have one key core passage of Scripture that we're going to preach from today. I know a lot of times we've been going through a series on the Holy Spirit. We've been jumping around all over the place between the New Testament and the Old Testament. We have one core scripture that we're going to hang all the thoughts on today, and that's 1 Timothy 2, chapter 8. And he says this, Paul's telling Timothy this, he writes, he says, I desire, does, excuse me, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And can we just say this together? We don't do this all the time at Authentic Church, but I think there's something so powerful in reading this uh, passage of Scripture out loud. Could we just say it together? I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So let me just give you the backstory. If you're not familiar with uh, this Scripture or even who Timothy is, there's a gentleman in, in the New Testament named Paul. Paul uh, he becomes uh, one of the uh, most prolific church planters in history. And Paul got saved, got radically uh, transformed with an encounter with God, and then begins to spend the rest of his days on a mission to do everything he can to tell as many people about Jesus and to see churches planted. And in the course of doing so, he came across, in terms of planting different churches, he needed to raise up leaders because he would peace out, and he would go to the next town to go plant and strengthen that church, and then come back later, and he'd check on them. So it'd be like if somebody planted here in Authentic Church, and then for after about two or three years, we moved on, and we did something down in San Diego, and then out in Palm Springs, and then a few years later up in, in San Francisco, and then came back down. But along the way, we were putting leaders in all these different churches around the region, and the way to communicate was to write. So he would write letters. In different times, he would bring along traveling buddies. So there was Barnabas, there was Silas, and there was this young man, Timothy. Timothy, uh, Timothy had, uh, he had uh, parents that one was Jewish and then the other was Greek. And so there was a massive blending in the family. And, uh, and there was different cultural aspects that came together. There were different faith aspects that came together. And Paul raised him up. And in raising him up, Paul actually brought him along to travel with him, and it wasn't so much so, Timothy, you can just be my administrative assistant. No, he was raising him up because he knew at some point he would no longer be there. And so Paul 
began entrusting Timothy with different key leadership roles. It was kind of like, you know, if, if, if Paul's the president, Timothy's the vice president, right, traveling around. Uh, if, if, if Paul's the CEO, Timothy's the COO. Like, in, in fact, there's some letters, First uh, Thessalonians, uh, what is it, Philippians and Philemon, those letters begin with Paul addressing, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of the Lord Jesus. So basically, he brought Timothy up to his rank to let them know, hey, both of us are riding them. And what was Paul doing from a leadership perspective? He's telling everybody, all the churches, hey, this is coming from me and Timothy, meaning my stamp of approval is upon this young man. So in the course of raising Timothy up, he writes him some letters, one of them being 1 Timothy, which we just read. And, and, and Paul tells, he shares with Timothy in just this one scripture, he shares with him four key elements that I believe every man of God needs to have. I believe these four key elements that Paul shared here helps to raise up men of God, not boys who shave. We don't need more boys who shave playing video games all day long. We need more men of God that stand for something. Amen? So the first thing that Paul tells him is uh, the first key nugget that we can grasp is prayer. Number one, pray. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. If you're not taking notes, you can still write this down. Number one, pray. He says, I desire, therefore, that men pray where? Everywhere. Like he wanted prayer to become... A habit that it wasn't just prayer wasn't just something we do when we gather together on a Sunday morning before church and have a prayer meeting. Uh, prayer wasn't just something where we do before we have some big life crisis or we're in the middle of something going on. No, no. He said, "I want men to pray everywhere." He want he want I want I want you to pray everywhere and every and there's other places, other scriptures, writings from Paul. He says, "I I want the men to pray everywhere at all times." And so prayer isn't just something that you do here and there, but uh, cultivating a lifestyle of prayer. Now, this is a spiritual father talking to his spiritual son. I found, I, I, I found through the years, there's a lot of young men that want to jump from being a spiritual son, and they just want to kind of come into their own, flex their spiritual muscles, and almost become a spiritual dad. You can never become a spiritual father if you're not first a spiritual son. You can never become a spiritual son if you don't spend time with the Lord of your life. So a lot of people jump from sonship when they haven't surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. And you need the Lordship of Christ to help you understand your identity as a son. And then as time goes on, and, and Paul tells Timothy in one of his letters, he says, look for faithful and able men. What is faithfulness? That's time. There, you've been tested. You, you, you have some relationships. You have some grit. You've gone through some stuff. You've been tested. You heard from my buddy Jason up here earlier. We've known Jason and his wife Nicole now for over 10 years, close, close friends of ours. We've seen highs and lows. We've experienced being broke together. We've had a little bit of money together. We've gone on vacations. We've, you know, dealt with squabbles with kids. Like, we've gone through some stuff together as friends, right? You need people like that. And for you cultivating, developing a prayer life, there's going to be times where your grit is going to be tested. The strength of that relationship between you and God is going to be tested. And I, I'm going to share this. I, I call this, uh, this is a little saying, a quote, if you will. Uh, you could refer to it as a tweeter tattoo. It's good enough to tweet, but if it's really good, you might want to get it tattooed. It's a tweeter tattoo saying, a prayerless life points to a pride-filled heart. 
Whenever you see somebody that has a prayer lift's life, it's kind of like, I got this. And you're like, wait, what? I thought you were a Christian. And it's like, yeah, I am. Well, why are you leaning on your own understanding and not acknowledging him? If you're such a hot shot, what, like, where, where is the full surrender to God in your life? Where, where, anytime somebody is prayerless, they're filled with pride, myself included. We've all had times and seasons probably that we can go to and look back and thought, you know what, I, 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 I prayed less, and I, looking back, I wish I would have prayed more. The prayerless life reveals a pride-filled heart. We don't call it pride. We call it being busy. Uh, we call it sleeping in. We call it a number of different things. But really, at the end of it, it's pride. It's saying, I can do this on my own. I don't need you, God. How many know that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble? We want to be people that are hungry for the presence of God. I remember a few weeks ago, we were doing the Baptized SoCal event which was awesome, over 4,000 people that got baptized down at Pirate's Cove. And I know a number of you that were here that got baptized at that gathering. It was phenomenal. And one of the guys that got baptized, he came, he came into the water, and, and when he came up out of the water at baptism, he, he this big Polynesian guy all tatted up, he was a puddle of tears on my shoulder, sobbing, crying out, thanking God, overwhelmed with gratitude and thankfulness. And, I, and, and as I'm praying for him, I walked away from that moment thinking, God, I want that hunger. Like that guy crying out for you. Like I want that level of hunger. I want that hunger in my life. And, um, and one of the ways that you keep the hunger going is through our daily prayer time. And we had put together uh, and did a teaching on it last year, but we put together a daily prayer card. And it simply follows the pattern of prayer from Jesus. I've had a lot of people, and even if we took a poll here in this room, you would say, is prayer important? Most of us would say, yeah, I think prayer is important. But sometimes you get into a moment of prayer, ever get into a moment of prayer, and you kind of feel like you're off track. You know, it's kind of like when I was you know, teaching my, you know, five-year-old children homeschooling then, and I'm trying to teach them math, and they're like, squirrel, you know, it's like, we're, you know, we're, we're <laughs> right? And, and, and sometimes in prayer, you can get distracted, and, and I love the teaching of Jesus in the Lord's, it's been deemed the Lord's Prayer, it's really more aptly known as the disciples' prayer, because in the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive us our sins. Well, Jesus never sinned, so it's more so the disciples' prayer, or the Our Father, as some of them have known, if you come from a Catholic background. And so when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he gave them an outline. Our Father, who art in heaven, acknowledging God as your Father. Holy is your name, your holiness. Let's take a moment and just admire him. Just connect with him. And he goes on, and, and, and then he ends the prayer, let it be so, Amen. And, and for us as a church family, it's so powerful when you spend time praying and spending, spending time in the presence of God. It's amazing how you have a different perspective of the challenges that you'll face because challenges are going to come everybody's way. Contrary to po some popular belief or some uh, positivity pastors out there, challenges will come to every one of us at some point in life. Jesus said, in this life, you're going to have challenges. He just promises he's going to be with you through those challenges. 
So when we spend time praying and spending time with God, and not just to go through a prayer mantra, our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name, may your kingdom come, your will be done. No, that's not what Jesus wanted. He just said, here's an outline that helps lead you into intimacy with God. God doesn't want more from you. He wants more of you. Like he, he wants to hear your heart. He, he wants to, you just to be raw and honest. Uh, even this morning, and it's so funny because sometimes you can get into the mode, right? If, you know, I'm like, I'm, like I'm, I'm a prayer guy. Like every morning I have my prayer time, whether I'm sitting in my big chair in my living room, that's known as dad's chair. That's where dad sits. That's dad's ottoman. Like that's my chair, right? Whether I'm sitting in dad's chair or I'm out on a prayer walk running into my neighbors or what have you, I, I, I begin my, my day with prayer. And it's funny because sometimes you can just start getting into a rhythm of something and you, can't, you don't even realize you're being religious. So, uh, you know, just being transparent today, I'm, I'm on my prayer walk this morning. It's like, I don't know, five something in the morning. It's still dark out and I'm praying. And then like there was like a line that came out of my mouth about, you know, something. And, and the Lord just stopped me and he said, good morning, son. And when, when I felt that impression in my mind, it was just kind of like God subtly reminding me like, where are you right now? You're just saying things. Like, where's you, are you really hearing, listening, communicating with me? But you, you, can, you, can, you can get into that mode, even as a pastor. Yes, you can get into that mode. And it was just this subtle reminder. God's like, good morning, son. I love you. I'm so proud of you. And he began to just lavish and just fill me up with, just fill my cup with love and words of affirmation. It was just... And I just more so started as I'm walking, it went from talking to listening. <laughs> I just want to encourage you, as much as you're talking and you're going through your daily prayer card, I want to encourage you that the, the goal of this, the goal of Jesus teaching his disciples to pray was intimacy with the Father. It was that closeness. It was that unbroken fellowship. And, and when you spend time with the Father, you begin to get his heart. When you get the Father's heart and when you get his perspective, Nothing's going to slow you down that day. Nothing's going to knock you out. Nothing's going to take you out because you, you, you know the heart of your father and you get a divine perspective for any situation that may come your way. It's so important to spend time with God. So my question would be, Jesus is teaching his disciples, so he teaches them to pray, and he's spending time with them. And I find it so interesting, there was such a premium on prayer that when they looked at Jesus' life, they did not ask Jesus, Jesus, would you teach us how to preach? No, what'd they say? Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? That there was a premium, a premium on praying, spending time with God. The way that Jesus did it, they are like, this is unlike anything we've ever seen. This is unlike anything I've ever experienced and encountered. My question would be, if, you, if I was your disciple, living in your house, right? The disciples were going along camping with Jesus. They were just a bunch of dudes out on a camp out for three and a half years. They were just constantly moving around, camping, going from place to place, right? If, if, I, was, if I was your disciple, what, what, would I, what would I view in your prayer life that I would model after if I was your disciple? For some of you, that might be a real somber answer, <laughs> For others, you'd be like, you know what? I'm actually, I'd be, I'd be really honored to lead my kids and to pray how I pray and lead somebody else. What does your daily prayer life look like? 
And, I, I, and this isn't to beat anybody up. I'm, I'm challenging you in love as your pastor. Why? Because Jesus talked about when you pray. He's not talking if you pray. He said when you pray, assuming that we're going to have a prayer life. So I just want to encourage you. If you've fallen off tracks, maybe a little bit with your prayer time with God, maybe this week you had some late nights and some early mornings, and the only time you prayed, you were like racing to work, and you're like praying in tongues or something because you're late, you know, which I'm not saying don't do that, especially if you're late, do that. But I'm saying, where, where, are, where was your time communicating, seeking his face, spending time with God, listening? There's times, several times a week, where I, I, I've, I've put into my rhythm where I just sit and I listen. And I just type on my iPad whatever I feel like he's saying. And I'll just sit there and drink my cup of coffee. It's quiet in the house. And I'll just type out whatever I feel like the Lord's saying. God, what's, what's on your heart for my family? God, how can, I, how can I be a better husband to fawn? What are some things I could do to serve her today? God, help me to parent my kids. Help me to parent Brighton and Juju and River and Augie. And God, what can I do to, to bless my son-in-law and my daughter and my grandbabies? What are, Lord, what, what do you want me to do with my investments? God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> the stock market's crazy today. Like, what do, you, what do you want me to do with that? You just begin to ask him. And it's so awesome. Like, as you ask him, like, he's so faithful, he answers you. He says, yeah, do this. No, don't do that. Don't, don't even touch that. Do this. Say this. He'll give you ideas. He'll give you thoughts and leadings of his, from his spirit. I think if we had more Christians focused on simply just being with God, we would have more of the presence of God rather than the performance. I think sometimes what happens in Christianity, and it's run rampant in stages and platforms across the world and in Christian circles, is somewhere along the lines they got away from just being with him, and it was all about doing Suddenly, preaching was their gift on display for everyone, where prayer is God's heart on display for you. It's so important, so critical. And the higher God takes you, the more influence he gives you, the growth you experience, the promotion that comes from him, it's so important that you spend time on your face with him. You know, it said, uh, said in, in the Old Testament in Exodus, I think we have the scripture, Moses, it says that Moses talked to God face to face says this in Exodus 31. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Face to face. And, and if you look in the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle, which was the portable church, and then they had the temple of God. So the tabernacle was the portable church. They had uh, different, you know, you read through Leviticus and Numbers and different areas. They actually had assignments where it's like, okay, you guys, you're over packing up the curtains and you got to roll them this way and you got to hold them this way and blah, blah, blah. You guys are over carrying the ark. You guys are going to take care of this, that, and the other. No different than portable church authentic some Sundays, right? And so uh, I just want to show you this as a beautiful picture that might help you enter into the presence of God. So you had this, this is the tent of meeting, this is the holy place, and then be, there was a veil halfway through there that went back to the most holy place, okay? You couldn't just go back there. What would happen if the priest just bypassed all of this and just walked in? They would die. That's why they tied a rope around their ankles, right? You know, so, so there, there was a process that they went through, and the process began here. They would come through the door, Follow me on this. They would come through the door, and then there was the, the brazen altar. That was the altar of sacrifice. 
And then after the sacrificial offering was made, then the priests would come here to the laver, this basin of water, and they would wash. And then the last thing that the priest would do before he would go in, he would be anointed with oil. Man, I feel like I've heard this kind of stuff before in the New Testament. Like, we're, like this was a pattern. God was a master foreshadower. Everything in the Old Testament you look, like, look at, it points to something in the New Testament. Jesus said, I am the door, right? Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I'm the door. I'm the entranceway. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb that paid the penalty for all sin. So because of what Jesus did in dying a death he didn't do, deserve, you and I get eternal life that we don't deserve. And then after you're saved, what does Jesus tell you to do? Become water baptized. And in this laver, in the water basin there where they would wash, actually when they formed it, they had uh, the, the bottom part was actually mirrored. So you would lean over and you would see your reflection. When you're water baptized, you come up in newness of life. There's a new version of you. You're a new creation in Christ. And then before you enter into that closeness, that intimacy, then you would be anointed. And God wants to anoint you with the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because he wants to help you become more holy so that you have greater levels of intimacy with him. James 4.8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James is the little brother of Jesus and he pens this. I think he knows what he's talking about. He says, draw near to God and here's the promise. If you do, he's gonna draw near to you. My question, my encouragement for you, are you ready to draw near to God? Are you ready this week? Let's, let's spend time this week drawing closer to God than we ever have before. All right, number one, pray everywhere. The second area that Timothy was encouraged in, in in leading the churches from Paul was in purity. In purity. Paul says, I desire men pray everywhere, and I desire that they lift up what? Holy hands. That there was an emphasis on purity, and that there was an emphasis on praise and worship. When you're, if, if he's saying, I want you to lift up holy hands, that's not just in your prayer closet. He's saying when you gather, men, lift up holy hands. There's something supernatural that happens when you lift up your hands in worship and praise, which, by the way, is based on scriptures, tons of scriptures throughout the Psalms talked about lifting up your hands, not just your voices, but actually lifting hands. That's just not like some, you know, early Pentecostal movement thing that happened in the Christian church. That's actually, that's actually from the Old Testament. Lift up holy hands in the sanctuary to bless his holy name. With, with, when you lift your hands, there's a blessing. It's one of the reasons why as parents, we always encourage parents not to spank with their hands or correct their children with their hands, but to actually use an instrument like Mr. Spoon. <laughs> Mr. Spoon was uh, a really popular item in the Peterson house. I know your kids were perfect and didn't need correction, but our kids, some of them needed correction, especially Juju. She needed a little bit of extra. Brighton was perfect. I'm kidding. <laughs> She's got the thick skin. She's got the thick skin. <laughs> She said, every Father's Day, you pick me out. I only do it because I know you love it. So we had Mr. Spoon. And then at the table, we started with, we actually started with a chopstick. So we just, you know, they, they feel that. Why do we do that? Because hands were always a conduit of blessing. So when I came up and I laid my hands and prayed for my children, I didn't want them to shriek back. When, when it, there's, we've been talking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Paul in, in uh, Acts 19, when they hadn't received the Holy Spirit, it says he laid his hands on them. 
Hebrews chapter 6 talks about the elementary doctrine of the laying of the, on of hands, that there was a transference that happens through the laying on of hands. Laying on of hands was so important, pronouncing blessing, that in the Old Testament, you had uh, sons squabbling, fighting for receiving the father's blessing, Jacob and Esau, right? And because there was such power. So parents, I want to encourage you, if you might need to correct your children, like the Peterson kids needed to be corrected, if you need to correct your children, use an instrument to do that. Get Mr. Spoon. Get a chopstick, whatever it is, right? It's nice because my kids are older. I can talk about that and not get, you know, called by CPS in California. But, but there is a, there's an element there of purity. There's an element of holiness, that it's, that it's a lifestyle. And, and I want to encourage you, if you've faced a struggle, just real talk right now, if you faced a challenge and you feel like you just have areas of your purity that you just can't overcome, I want to encourage you to confess that to someone. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Like you're forgiven by confessing your sin to God, but you experience great healing when you confess your sin to another person. I like this quote by Chris Hodges. He said this, you don't have to tell everything to everyone, thank God, but everyone has something to tell someone. You don't have to tell everything to everyone, but everyone has something to tell someone. My question is, especially to the men, who are you accountable to? Like, I, I have text messages every week. Had two in one day from my guys that keep me accountable. And we have eight accountability questions that I'm going to give to the men around the fire on July 11th. We have eight accountability questions that they ask me. And we're honest with each other. And we're transparent. And it's a safe place. They ask me questions like, how much time have you spent in, in reading and praying, Pastor? How much, how much, how's, your, how's your marriage? How's intimacy? How are you treating Fawn? Have you given time to your family? How are your financial dealings? Are you honest? Is there anything that I should know about? Did you view anything explicit? Is there anything in your area of purity that we need to talk about? And then the last question, did you just lie to me? <laughs> we have that in the accountability questions. <laughs> we need accountability. My question to the men is, who are you accountable to? If I were to come up to you and we were just talking after service, I said, hey, who's your accountability partner? Uh, if you're like me, like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I'd be like, dude, nobody. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That's foreign to me. I want to encourage you. Everybody needs someone that they can talk to. So men, who's that guy for you? Ladies, who's that gal for you? Who's your one where you can just say, I'm going through it. I'm going through a difficult time. Will you pray for me? When I'm facing, it's so good when you have accountability in your life. It's such a good, like, source of protection for you. And for you men, I'll tell, I'll tell you this, it gives greater confidence to your wife knowing, oh, before you make that financial decision, I know you're going to run it past so-and-so because their accountability and, and counsel in our lives when it comes to our finances. Like, who is that person? So I want to encourage you men, this week, maybe even today, you text somebody and say, hey, Pastor Jeff is calling us men on the carpet. He said I need to have an accountability person, would you be my accountability partner? Would you do that? I want to encourage you, find that person. Who is that person?
So number one, the first thing that Paul encourages Timothy, he goes, man, I want men to pray everywhere. The second area, pray that they would lift up holy hands. And the third area that Paul challenges the men in is in anger. And I, if I could be transparent with you, this is the biggest area that I've struggled with. A lot of people don't know that. They're like, man, you're so nice. You're so happy. You seem so encouraged all the time. Brother, I've gone through it. And this is the one area that I still have to really keep at bay because there's some things that can get me really fired up. It's one of the reasons I don't like watching the news. I would rather read it because when I watch it, it plays on my emotions. <laughs> anger, anger, it can get the best of you. Man, I've done things in anger. I've said things in anger. Oh, I wish I could get back. It's one of the reasons when River turned 13 last year, he turned 13 years old. And in our house, when you turn 13, it's a big deal. So for the gals, for the girls, we take them out for a nice dinner, fancy dress, and we give them a purity ring, and it's this beautiful moment. And for the boys, we have, a, uh, we have what, what I call the primal path. And uh, in the primal path, we, we do some manly stuff, but it's also a time where I really challenge them in their manhood. And so for River, I gave him a couple of gifts, and one of the gifts that I gave him was this really nice pen. But it wasn't just any pen. It was actually purposely a heavy pen. It's a weighted pen. There are certain pens that are like that, and they help, they help you stay stronger so that your writing isn't shaky. It helps to weigh you down. And I gave him a heavy pen because I wanted him to know, son, your words carry weight. You can never get words back. You can ask for forgiveness, but your words carry weight. What words are you speaking? And when we sin in our anger, sometimes we can say things that we don't mean. It's one of the reasons why I'm not really big on alcohol. Because I've faced that demon and said things I wish I didn't say. It's quiet in here. Hopefully we're being challenged. Proverbs 19.11 says this, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. When was the last time you overlooked an offense or are you holding on to it? Offenses are going to come. You need to overlook offenses. We are people that are not easily offended. We say it in our house all the time with our kids. When they, you know, they might squabble and fight about something in a game or what have you. Hey, we are not easily offended. They've heard us say that a bunch of times. We're not easily offended. Let it roll off you. Get to a place where it's just rolling off you like water off a duck's back. We're not easily offended. That guy cuts you off in traffic. You're not easily offended. And again, I'm up here saying this, but I'm also in the front row going, amen. <laughs> like, I need this today, Pastor. James 1, 19 through 20 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. How do you beat anger? The first thing that Paul tells Timothy, prayer. A prayer-filled life beats pride. When you're full of prayer, you've de you're defeating pride in your life. Keeps you humble, keeps you relaxed. He keeps you from getting angry. We, we've been talking a lot. We've read a few scriptures from James. Jesus had another younger brother who was a leader in the early church, and his name was Jude. Jude had this to say about prayer. Jude one twenty, he says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, 
How do you keep your way pure? How do you live free from anger? How do you keep your perspective on the things of God? Praying in the Holy Spirit. All right, so number one, talked about prayer. Number two, living pure. Number three, beating anger. Number four, standing in faith. Number four, faith. So as I prayed for the men this week, one of the common things that the Holy Spirit kept bringing back up to me was, and I'm just gonna say it like I heard it, men, God wants to give you your confidence back. God wants to give you your confidence back where you're like that boxer that's walking into the ring and you just know, I am gonna pummel this dude like he has got no shot. Like he wants you to feel like you're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. He wants in him, not in your own strength, in his strength. Not based on what you've done, based on what he's done. Men, he, it's time for you to get your confidence back. It's time for you to be the man of God that he's called you to be. It's time for you to stop sleeping in, to set that alarm if you need to set it, get up early, or it's in the evening time, you're having private, quiet time with God, but it's time for you to have a place and a time where prayer is a, is a discipline. It's not, it's, it's not just kind of something you do here and there. No, it, it is a discipline in your life that it's like breathing. It's like you remembering to drink your water and eat the meal for the day. It's prayer becomes something that spending time with God, it's time for the men of God to rise up and to be the men of God that we've been called to, amen? It's the time. So how do you keep up your faith? Let me just give you two just really easy things. Number one, you get in the word of God and number two, you take risks. You take risks. You get in the word of God, Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith, you receive it, you grow in it through reading the word, but then you gotta activate it. If not, then you're just sitting there and James 2, 17 says, if you're just sitting there in your faith, it doesn't have any work, it's dead. Faith by itself, it doesn't have any works, it's dead. He's saying, if you have faith, it'll motivate you to works. Now, you're not saved by works. You're saved by, the, by what Jesus did. However, based on what Jesus did and what you've received, it should motivate us to works. There's something, that, there's something you know, men, we do better when, like, we're like pickup trucks. We do better when we're loaded down a little bit. We're do, we were better, we, we do better when we got something to pray for. We, we, we do better when we're hungry for something. We, we do better when there's some li things that we've listed out on our daily prayer card that we're believing God for. There, we do better when, when there's somebody in our life we're like, God, we need you to show up. I pray that you would touch. Touch my uncle. Touch my niece. Touch that person that I work with, God. They do not know you. If they die before they know you, they're not going to heaven. I know it, Lord. And so I pray, God, that they would come to know you. We do better when we're weighted down with something. What's weighing you down? And I'm talking about a good weight the kind of weight that produces a faith muscle. What is that? What's that element of faith that God's calling you to step out in? Read the word of God, get into the word of God, but man, activate it. Faith is actually a Hebraic. It's a Hebraic term. If you don't know what that is, it's unique in the fact that it's a noun and a verb at the same time. That's a Hebraic word. It's something you have, it's a noun, and it's seen by something you do. That's the verb. What are you doing with the faith that God's given you? And you say, man, you know, we're always looking for the next big thing or the great thing. God's looking for just the simple thing. God's looking for the some person that has, maybe they're just kind of like, I think I have faith. And it's the size of a mustard seed. And God's like, I can work with that. 
If you put that in my hand, watch what I can do. Some fish, loaves, put it in my hands. Let me, let me show you what I can do with that. Will you yield that to me? Live a legacy. Parents, our kids are going to remember our tears when talking to Jesus better than our rules about following Jesus. What, what do your kids see when they look at you? I pray that my kids see, man, dad was a man of prayer. Mom was a woman of prayer. Man, they, they said yes to some of the craziest things. They were, they were a little bit crazy at different times. They got a word from the Lord, but man, we, we saw God come through. Like, you're, right, you're living a legacy right now. We're all living a legacy. What's your legacy? People are looking. Before they know Jesus, they're going to know the Jesus in you. What are they seeing? Let's show off Jesus, amen? There's a, a story of General Patton, and I'll end with this if somebody wants to come and play softly behind me. There's a, there's a story of General Patton, uh, General George S. Patton. He was a World War II um, just legend and was leading the army and the troops and was there when uh, World War II came to a close. And uh, he was known for a lot of things, but uh, the man produced results. <laughs> and, uh, and in producing results, one of the things that he would do from a leadership perspective, when he needed to promote somebody, he would make a list of all the candidates that he was going to promote, and then he would call them all together and he would have them do what looked like a seemingly mundane task. And one of his favorite trademarks that he loved to do is he would have them just outside of a warehouse or an office area where he could have a view of what they were doing. He would line the, the candidates up for promotion. And then he would tell them, he said, all right, men, I want a trench dug. I want it to be six feet long. I want it to be four feet wide, and I want it to be three feet deep. And so he'd tell them to do that. Any questions? No, sir. All right, great. And then he would leave, and he would usually go, if it was like a warehouse, one of the particular stories, he went up to a warehouse, and he looked down through the glass, and he just watched. And he said at, at first, all the guys would start out, and they'd you know, kind of talk, and they'd grab their tools and you know, their pickaxes and their shovels and stuff like that. And then usually they would just start talking. And they would start talking about, why are we, this isn't the normal size of a trench. Why does he want us to dig a trench? What are we digging a trench this close to the warehouse for anyway? Like what, like this is going to block the road. And why, why are we making it this long? And it, it, I mean, man, he's a brilliant guy, but why is it only this deep? Everybody knows that if you're going to, if you're going to go into a trench and actually have a a, a, a good markman spot. It needs to be deeper than three feet. Like, why is, why is he telling us to do this? And he would just watch. And then there would be one guy that says, who cares why the old man told us to dig the trench this way? Just dig the stupid trench so we can be done. And that was the man that got promoted. There's certain things in your life that may look like you're just digging a trench. It may look like it's mundane. It might feel mundane. God may have given you some orders at some point where you're going like, you're sitting here today, you're like, God, I don't understand why. Why? And heaven is saying, just dig the trench. Promotion is coming. God is promoting people in this house. I believe he's promoting people in different areas of business. He's promoting different families. He's raising you up as positions of leadership in schools. 
school boards, places of business. There's a leadership anointing that's on this house. I really believe it. To lead the charge in some areas. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. And don't despise the mundane. Second Chronicles 16.9, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully His. Living a legacy has these four key elements. Daily prayer. Committing to living a life of purity and holiness. Not just when people see it, lifting up holy hands in the sanctuary, but when nobody sees it when it's just you alone, that you made the conscious decision to choose to live pure. The third area, that you'd be free from anger. In our house, we say it this way. We only get angry at the thing that makes God angry. We only hate what God hates. Number four, that we'd be people that are filled with faith. And this morning, I want to end by doing something just a little bit different. I actually want to challenge the men of this house I want to challenge the men of this house to 21 days of prayer. Now, if you choose to fast during that time, go for it. Um, Some of you are doing the 75 hard challenge. Keep going. I want to challenge the men of this house to 21 days of prayer. 21 days where you're going to, every single day, you're actually going to pick up this daily prayer card and you're going to use it as a bit of an outline that leads you into the Holy of Holies. Like that example of the tabernacle. I want to challenge the men to say, you know what? Just like Jesus said he would, he would, he would wake up early in the morning and he, he went to a place, to a certain place to pray. I want to challenge you men, have a certain place. And maybe it's not early morning. If you're not an early morning person, I get it. But maybe you're a nighttime person. Or maybe you're saying, you know what? Every day over my, my lunch hour, I'm just going to go and spend time with them. I'm going to go on a walk. And you go on a walk, and a lot of times, when I take my son, River, on a walk, we'll bring our daily prayer card. And we'll pull it out. And as we're walking, we just begin to go through it. And what am I doing in that moment? I'm helping to disciple him the way Jesus taught his disciples, the way that a man of God taught me how to pray. I'm now leading my son in how to pray. I just want to encourage you, just take it out. Begin to pray. Go through the daily prayer card. The goal is intimacy. The goal isn't to just say every word on these pages verbatim and be like, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go eat. No, no, no. The goal is intimacy with God where you could speak to him like Moses did as a friend, that he's speaking to you as a friend. So we're just all gonna stand right now as we close. And... Men, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm actually going to ca- call any man that is saying, you know what, today I- I'm going to put a marker in the sand. I will commit to praying every day for the next 21 days. I'm going to commit to taking you up on that daily prayer challenge, Pastor Jeff. If you're a man in the house that's saying, I'm going to commit to this, I want you to just come down front right now. Just come down front. And ladies, you can clap for your men as they're coming down. Awesome. Come on. This is a beautiful picture right here. And I'm actually going to have you men just really quick. I want you to turn and just look out at the congregation. I want you to turn and look. 
Ladies, I want you to look at these men. These men are going to be holding up a shield for you. These men are going to be praying for you. These men are going to pray blessing over you. These men are going to stand as warriors, as watchmen on the wall over this house and over your house. And you're going to be better off because of it. And at the end of the 21 days, we're going to gather together around a fire and we're going to talk about what God is doing. All right, man, you can turn around now. Look at me. I'm going to pray God's blessing upon you. And during these 21 days, as you pray, as you spend time with God, you're going to know him more. You're going to know his heart more. You're going to respond to those situations that used to make you angry. You're going to respond with peace. Those areas that used to try to trip you up, and the devil is a sneaky, sly dog, man. He'll try to take you down everywhere you look. He's trying to grab your look for something else. And you're going to live in greater purity this month. These 21 days are going to mark you. I believe it's going to really set you up for a powerful time in God, not just for the summer, but it's going to be it's going to be one of those stakes in the ground, the line in the sand that you look back in 2023 and you say, you know what? I made a decision, and man, it's the best decision I've ever made. I'm spending time praying with Him. I want to pray God's blessing upon you. I want to I want to read this scripture again before we end. First Timothy 2:8. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Man, just lift your holy hands up to God. God, I thank you, Father, for pouring out your spirit on the men today. God, I thank you, Father, for strengthening the men of Authentic Church. God, that every man under the sound of my voice, I pray that there would be a fresh strengthening, a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit, a fresh fire for the things of you, a fresh fire for the Word of God, a fresh fire for prayer. God, I pray when they come into their prayer closet, when they pull out the prayer card today, tomorrow, for the next 21 days, I pray that there would be beautiful moments where you minister to them, where their heart is so connected to what's on your heart. God, where they begin to cry and weep at the things of you, your kindness, your love, your care, your forgiveness, your mercy. God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon the men of Authentic Church in greater measure. And God, as we step forth and take this prayer challenge, God, as we raise our hand and say, I will stand for you. I will stand in prayer. I will lift up holy hands in purity. I'm going to walk and not be angry. I'm going to stand in greater faith. God, I pray as the men of this house do that. God, I pray as they draw near to you that, they're, that you're so going to draw near to them. I pray strength and grace upon the men of this house. I pray your blessing upon them. In the mighty name of Jesus, that they would live a godly life and that they would leave a godly legacy. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we give God praise today? Come on. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.